Uh, today's uh, word will come from Ruth chapter 4. Uh, we'll look at verses 13 to 22. Um, let's hear now God's word being read. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. And Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the reading of God's word. Would you join me in prayer at this time? God, would you speak to us once again as we come to receive the food of your holy word? Take your truths, plant it deep within us, shape, mold, and fashion us into your image. Do these things so that the light of Christ may shine in our acts of love. Um, And God, would you speak as the church continues to go forth, as the church is built, And as the earth is filled with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, It's hard to believe that there are only 11 more days left in 2020. Um, Today is Christmas Sunday, so an early Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, Merry Christmas, Deacon Tom. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm sure many of you feel the same way that I do. Uh, Life before the pandemic what we would call, quote-unquote, normal. A normal life, it feels more like a hazy dream that we're trying to remember than actual reality itself. Everything pre-COVID is, at least for me, just this distant memory. And I think we've all, collectively as a society, lost sense of what life was like before the pandemic. And you know, the most surprising thing to all of this, as we try to remember what life was like, you know, it's only been, or it's been less than a year. You know, as we come to the end of Ruth, I can't help but wonder, if we feel this way, how much more was quote-unquote normal and even distant memory for Naomi? You see, because even though Ruth is a very short book, it actually spans over 20 years years. So, the last time things were the way that it should be for Naomi, meaning life with her husband, life with her two sons, life in Bethlehem before the famine, 
That was probably over 20 years ago. Since then, what happened to her? She became a widow. Then what happens? Well, Naomi does something that no mother should ever have to do. She buries her own child. And if once wasn't enough, she has to do that twice. Then she returns to her hometown, only to live and be treated as an alien, a sojourner. Remember, Naomi's life was so broken, she was so defeated, she was so deflated, that she changed her name to Bitter. See, Naomi was basically saying, this is now my new identity. This is now the new normal for me. I am no longer pleasant, but I am bitter. It's been 20 years since things were normal for Naomi. She probably doesn't remember what it was like. And it doesn't feel like a reality. It feels more like a hazy dream. But all we have to do is flip a few pages, a few thin pages of our Bibles. As we flip a few pages and get to the end of Ruth, we span 20 years. 20 years elapse, and at the end of the story, this is the scene that we are given. Today's passage, both Naomi and Ruth, they're redeemed. They have a protector in Boaz, this amazing redeemer as we talked about. And Ruth, remember, she was barren for 10 years. She was unable to conceive for 10 years. But in today's passage, she bears a son. I mean, you think about this, right? You know, I heard a woman once say that um, what's more painful than actually giving birth is not being able to conceive. She said, what's more painful than the act of giving birth is not being able to conceive. And so for Ruth, here's a woman who had 120 failed attempts at pregnancy. But in today's passage, she bears a son. And not only is this Ruth's son, but if you look at verse 16, Naomi actually gets to nurse her own grandson. And the town people are saying, wow, a son has been born to Naomi. So, I mean, just think about how this story begins, right? And think about how the story ends. Think about how different these situations are. On one hand, it begins with barrenness, and it ends with fruitfulness. It begins with famine, and it ends with a harvest. It begins with death. And it ends with life. But, having said all that, Ruth is a story that's not just about opposites. While Ruth presents to us contrasting points, life and death, within this story, there's also a constant thread. In the midst of the lowest lows and the highest highs, there is a constant theme that runs throughout this entire story. And that constant theme, despite the peaks and the valleys, is God's faithfulness. Church, as we worship this morning, I want to 
revisit the theme of God's faithfulness. Because if there is one thing I think that we all need to be reminded of now, in 2020, as Christmas is fast approaching, one thing that we need to be reminded of is the simple fact that God is faithful. God has not given up. You may have given up like Naomi, but God has not given up. You may have abandoned Him, but He has not abandoned you. And so today, as we close out this short series on Ruth, I want to explore briefly the manner in which God is faithful. I want to take a look at the nature of God's faithfulness. You see, because it's one thing to know that, you know, it's one thing to know, yes, God is faithful. But I think it's it's an entirely different thing to know how God is faithful. And so today, I just want to briefly look at the manner or the nature of God's faithfulness. Uh, It was mentioned a few weeks back, but in Ruth, uh, there is this word that's often used at very pivotal points in the story. And that word is the Hebrew word hesed. Now, what does this word hesed mean? Well, if you've been a part of the church, you you probably have heard it uh, a number of times. But this word hesed... um, There actually is no direct English translation for this word. In fact, if you look across different English Bibles and translations, uh, there are over a hundred different translations of this word. Most commonly, here are some examples. Um, You have um, kindness. Uh, Sometimes it's translated as love. Uh, Sometimes you have mercy. Sometimes you have grace. Sometimes it's translated as devotion. Now, some translators actually cheat, and they use two words. Uh, Most notably, uh, there's the translation, steadfast love, or loving kindness, or covenant loyalty. Now, I think this is a clear sign that there's just so much nuance and depth to this one word that there's no translation that can actually capture what this word means. Now, you might be familiar with this phenomenon if you speak another language, right? Sometimes, if you speak another language, you'll run into words that are just so hard to translate. Uh, for example, my friend once told, uh, taught me this German word. Uh, we were sitting down, and he says, you know, this is, this is a fernva. And I asked him what it means, and he says, well, there's no way to translate it directly. But fernva, he says, it means longing for something that's far away. Right? He says, it's not a close pain, but it's a distant pain. Fernva. Or, um, in the Korean, um, there's this word, nunchi. Uh, most, most recently, there was a book uh, written uh, entitled, The Power of Nunchi. Uh, but how do you translate this word, nunchi? Do you say it's uh, social perception and intuition? You know, it's, it's the same thing with the word hesed. All right, no one word can really describe what hesed means. Um, because within hesed, there are actually three important elements. Within hesed, 
there are three elements. The first is this, uh, deep affection, okay? There's deep affection, and that's why this word is often translated as love. The second element is commitment. So that's why there's this idea of covenant, devotion, loyalty. And finally, there's action. So it's not just loyalty, commitment, and affection, but hesed is also the act of these things. So you have kindness, grace, and mercy. So just to sum things up, if you have, let's say, affection, if you have deep affection, but you fail to act, that's not hesed. Or if you have action, you're kind and graceful, but no commitment, no loyalty, that's not hesed. See, hesed is all of these three things, affection, commitment, and action. Now, the Bible uses this word hesed to describe God and his relationship to us. You know, God, when he introduces himself, he introduces himself as a God who is hesed, as a God who is kind, loving, compassionate, loyal. And here's one of my favorite examples. It's found in Isaiah 49. This is what it uh, says. God is saying this. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion. That she should have no hesed on the son of her womb. Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. In Isaiah 49, God, he likens himself not to a strong king. Uh, not to a stoic father, not to a successful entrepreneur, but he says, I am like a nursing mother. Why? Because there is no one on the face of this earth who has deeper affection, greater commitment, and a willingness to act than a mother to her child. I mean, think about this, right? I don't know how you like to be introduced or how you like to, you know, what you like people to think about you, but this is God revealing himself to his people. God doesn't say, oh, don't you see how strong I am? He doesn't say, don't you know how powerful I am? No, God says, don't you know how hesed I am? I am more hesed than a mother to her newborn child. God is saying, I am kind, I am compassionate, I am lovingly loyal. Think about a mother and what she feels, how she acts, how she is committed to her child. That is what I am to you. You know, friends, I think this is a point that we need to dwell on more at this time. I mean, when was the last time you saw God in this way? When was the last time you viewed God as a nursing mother? As someone who was gentle, yet so deeply committed. Someone who was nurturing, yet sacrificial. 
someone who was loving, yet strong and committed. And when was the last time you saw yourself as an infant being nursed by God himself? Or is your normal perception of God as something else? Do you see God as a critical judge? Do you view God as this authority figure, someone who is to be obeyed or else he's going to crush you? You know, I shared with the church a number of times, but often I view God as my employer. You see, what this word hesed does is it changes our perception of God. It changes how we view God. Not as a critical judge, but it shows us that God is someone who is deeply affectionate, deeply committed, and willing to act. He is like a nursing mother to us. So friends, this morning, church, as we are worshiping, do you see God in this way? Or are you worshiping because he's this fearful, critical judge? That if you don't worship, he's going to strike you down. Do you see God who is kind to you? As someone who is loving and gracious and deeply committed to you. See, that's Hesed. Look at what Luke 6.35 says. And speaking of God, it says, God, he is kind. He is Hesed. To who? To the ungrateful and the evil. He is kind, not to those who try hard, but he is kind, he is faithful to the ungrateful. You and I. You know, before I uh, became a father, I, I never knew how difficult nursing was. And of course, right now, you know, what I know is still deficient because it's only secondhand experience. But uh, before I experienced fatherhood, you know, whenever I thought of nursing a child, I always thought that's a piece of cake. I mean, you can, you know, you can do that. You know, you can multitask while nursing, right? I always thought, you know, nursing, all you have to do is, you know, just hold the baby like a football and just let nature do its thing. Uh, How wrong was I? You know, I, I learned through fatherhood that nursing is painful and draining. While certainly nursing has its joy, it is a painful act. And the pain is inflicted by the nursing child. So the child, the infant, in anger, in frustration, or even in haste, the infant would bite his mother's nipple, which are probably already sore. And it doesn't matter what time of the day or what condition the mother is in. If the child is hungry, the child will demand that the mother feeds her. Now, what, is a ch- what does a mother do? What does a mother do when she's nursing and the child bites on his mother's nipple? Does she slap the baby, turn him away? No. When a child demands, the mother feeds her even when she is exhausted. 
when the child and the infant is crying out, demanding nourishment? Does the, does the mother neglect the child and just sleep throughout the night like the fathers do? No, she gets up instantly. And she nurses the child. God, as he reveals himself to us, as he says, this is how I want you to see me. This is how I want you to view who I am and what I do. He says, I am like a nursing mother to you. God is saying, this is my devotion, my commitment, my affection to you. You can disappoint me over and over again. You can hurt me over and over again. You can make unreasonable demands over and over again. But I'm not going to slap you over the head. No, I am deeply committed to you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. God is saying, I am hesed. I am lovingly committed and kind. I am faithful like a mother is to her child. You know, uh, in the uh, children's um, storybook, uh, in the series Harry Potter, um, you know, the story, in in the story, the author frequently draws parallels between the story's main protagonist, uh, Harry Potter, and uh, the story's main uh, antagonist, Voldemort. And this is deliberate, as in most stories, you know, the, the main protagonist and the main antagonist, they're actually very similar. But, um, in the book The Sorcerer's Stone, we find out what the biggest difference is between Harry and Voldemort. And uh, this is actually from the book, uh, The Professor Dumbledore. This is him speaking as he's sharing what makes Harry so different from Voldemort. Um, He says this, Your mother died to save you. He's speaking to Harry. If there is one thing that Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. Voldemort didn't realize that love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. See, the difference between Harry and Voldemort is that Harry experienced the strong love of a mother. You know, this love I think the strongest type of love, a mother's love, is how God binds himself to us. You know, when I think about God's hesed in the story of Ruth, I think it's quite ironic because if you actually think about this story, Naomi's biggest longing was to be a mother again. I mean, could you imagine the guilt that she bore? Even though she wasn't directly responsible for her son's death, every day, Naomi bore the guilt of not being a good mother. Every day, she probably woke up thinking, it's my fault. Every day, she probably was thinking, if I can just exchange my life with their life. And if, she, and if she could have just one wish, it would be that Naomi could be a mother again to her two sons. She just wants a do-over. 
See, Naomi's desire is to be a mother again. But the irony is, that is what God was to Naomi. See, everything that Naomi wanted to do for her children, everything that she failed to do to her children, everything that she missed out on, God was doing for her. He was nurturing her. He was loving her. He was pursuing her. He was deeply committed to her. And that is what the townspeople, the women say at the end in today's passage. They say, God has not abandoned you this day. He's not left you. He's not left you. He was faithful to you. He was hesed. But God's faithfulness doesn't end there. If we continue on, today's passage tells us that you know God was being faithful not just to this one family, but God's faithfulness extended beyond Ruth and Naomi. And he was being faithful to the world. I mean, take a look at who this child is, right? Yes, this child is a blessing. He is answered prayers for Naomi and Ruth. But look at who this child is. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The same David who would be God's shepherd leading his people Israel. And the same David from whom we get Jesus, the promised Messiah. You see, as we think about God's faithfulness to Ruth and Naomi, we see that God's faithfulness to this one family is not detached from his faithfulness and loyalty to the world. You see, in other words, what we find in this story aren't two strands of faithfulness. It's not God is faithful to this family, and then he's faithful to his bigger plan for salvation. No, Ruth actually tells us that God's faithfulness to individuals is the same, is aligned with God's faithfulness to the world and his plan for salvation. Ruth tells us that when God is good and gracious and hesed to us, he's not just throwing crumbs at us while he's focused on something else. Ruth is telling us that God's goodness to us is not because we are his side projects while he has this bigger thing in mind. No, Naomi's story tells us that God's faithfulness to this one family is a small chapter within God's overall story for salvation. His faithfulness to Ruth is God's faithfulness to his plan for salvation. You know, this is, I think, a point that we we often miss. And sometimes we think that God's goodness and kindness and faithfulness to us 
has nothing to do with what he's really interested in, what he's really doing in this world, right? We think that, well, God, you know, he really cares about missions. He really cares about, you know, people's salvation. He really cares about his glory and his worship. And, you know, God just, you know, being faithful to me, well, that's, that's just crumbs. And, you know, we go to God in prayer thinking this, right? We, we go to God in prayer thinking, you know, we're interrupting him from his main goal. Right? Often we're timid thinking, why would God care about me? Why would God be faithful to me? I mean, he's got bigger fish to fry. But friends, don't you know that God's faithfulness to you aligns with this faithfulness to redeem the world for his glory? They're not two separate projects, but they are the same You know, my oldest son, you know, often tells me, he reminds me, he says, Dad, you know, you're just so busy. And he thinks, Dad, whatever time you spend with me, it's just time that you can spare. And, you know, by no means am I the perfect dad. But I have to remind him over and over again. Say, son, my work And my responsibility of being a father are not two separate things. You know, I have to remind them, my love and care for you is my highest priority. And I work not despite that, but because of that. See, and I think often this is how we view God. We think, yes, God is faithful to certain people. He's faithful to certain projects. But me... You know, if he can just toss me a few bones, I'll be happy. See, but friends, we will never truly understand God. We'll never view him the right way. We'll never know his heart if we continue to miss this. If you think that your joy, your happiness, has nothing to do with God's glory, we will always see God as someone or something we need to compete for. If you think that God's, God is really interested in his glory and my joy is something that's detached from that, we're always going to see God as someone who we need to earn favor from. But if you see God's glory if you see his plan for salvation as a part of your joy, that's when you can truly see who God is and how faithful he is to you. You see, God's faithfulness, his commitment, his devotion, his love and compassion to us is His faithfulness to His plan for salvation. You see, God is lovingly pursuing you and committed to you, not so that you can have a life apart from Jesus Christ, not so that you can have a life that is detached from the gospel joy, but He is faithful to you. He answers your prayers so that you may experience this gospel joy. His faithfulness to you aligns with this faithfulness 
for salvation for the world. You see, this story isn't just about how God was so gracious to this poor family. It's about how God was faithful to all of us. And God's faithfulness to this one family is God's faithfulness to you and I. You know, this, what strikes me as I read uh, this passage and as I conclude with, you know, just this passage in Ruth, you know, Naomi, she, in, her, in this life, she couldn't dare imagine that she would be the great-grandmother of the most powerful king in all of Israel, right? That's beyond her wildest imagination. She's just happy that she gets to nurse her grandson. And, you know, she couldn't in her wildest imagination expect that from her broken story, that from her ruins would come Jesus, the Savior of the world. You know, Naomi is simply thinking, wow, God was faithful to me. God was so good and loving and compassionate to me. And you know, Naomi can't see that God's faithfulness to her by granting her this child is actually not a side project, but it's God's main devotion, His main commitment, what He's really after, the salvation of the world. And so, friends, church, let me just conclude by reminding you this morning that, yes, God is faithful. How is he faithful? He's faithful like a mother to her nursing child. God, he is gentle, yet he is deeply committed. He is nourishing, yet he is deeply sacrificial. He is lovingly loyal to us. And even though we hurt him, even though we demand things from him, even though we become petulant like little children, even though we forsake him, we neglect him, we reject him, God, like a nursing mother, will never leave us. He will never forget about us. Even though we demand from him certain things, He's not going to slap us aside the head and say, you know what, you don't deserve it anymore. No, the very nature of hesed is what? He shows hesed to the ungrateful and the wicked. So if you think this morning that you fell out of favor with God, you're wrong. God's faithfulness, his hesed, is stronger than your defiance, stronger than your sin, stronger than your rebellion. And the second nature, second thing about the nature of God's faithfulness as we end is His faithfulness to you aligns with His faithfulness to this world. God will be good, gracious, loving, and kind to you. Not when He has time. But he will be faithful to you because that is his main goal, to see you 
experience the true joy of the gospel in Jesus Christ, to see you be sanctified through and through, to see you be redeemed, to see you be conformed in the image of Christ more and more. That is what God is really after. He's faithful to you, not in spite of his main goals, but he's faithful to you because that is what he is after primarily. So friends, this morning, um, if you think, you know what? I'm no Ruth. I'm no Naomi. You know, they, they suffered so much and they received special grace. If you think, you know what? No way this is my story. No matter how much, you know, my, you know, no matter how many times my mom calls me prince or my dad calls me princess, you know, I know I'm no royalty. You know, I know my kids aren't going to be the next president. You know, if you're thinking like this story, you know, it's a great story, but it's not my story. That's exactly the point that Ruth is making. The townspeople, the women in the end, they say, even Naomi, even to this forgotten woman, God has shown his faithfulness. Even to this woman, whom everyone avoided, God pursued. And so will you go in confidence this morning, knowing that God is faithful to you, and he will lovingly pursue you till the very end. Will you join me in prayer at this time?